Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, what book of the Bible are we in? John, we've been in John, we are in John, we will be in John. I hope to finish John before Jesus comes back. But if not, Jesus will finish John and those will be awesome sermons. I'll do my best in the meantime. We love you, it's good to have you. If you're new, turn to John chapter 13. And today the big idea is surrounding relationships. And what we're going to see is Jesus, he's the wise one, how he has a relationship with Judas, who's the evil one, and Peter, who is the foolish one. And so this will be real practical regarding relationships. The counselors, the sociologists, the professionals, they tell us that the average person has interaction, relationship with anywhere from 500 to 2,500 different people in a year. Some of you are in sales, business, your counselors, your teachers, you would be on the high side. Some of you are on the lower side, but relationships are some of the most painful and pleasant parts of life? And how do you process different people in different relationships? Here's the big idea I wanna share with you. We are to treat different people differently depending upon their character, okay? We should love all people. All people are made in the image and likeness of God, but our relationships with people are affected, they are adjusted according to their behavior. And we'll see that today as a bit of a case study. This is the the final moments of Jesus' life. He is right at the brink of being betrayed and crucified and dying. And he has a, a conversation in the midst and the presence of his followers called disciples, his students, and he has an opportunity to instruct them about relationships. And he does so in a case study with Judas and with Peter. So that being the case, we'll start with Jesus. He's the wise one, he's the wise one. And the goal is to have a relationship with Jesus where you become increasingly wise through following in his wisdom. The Bible says that if we walk with the wise, we become wise. My hope, my prayer, my goal is that you would walk with Jesus and you would grow wise through that relationship with him. Well, here's the story, John 13, starting in verse 12, when he had washed their feet. So here's the case study. They have been wandering and walking on a Roman highway. Roman highway was a series of road systems, sort of the first interstate highway system likely in the history of the world, uh, but it was dirt roads. And so animals would travel and people would travel. And as a result, it was, it was not a very pleasant place to be. And you're wearing sandals. That means after a long journey, you've got a lot of dust and dirt and dung on your feet. And it was customary out of hospitality when you would enter into someone's home that they would clean your feet because you would oftentimes recline and you're sitting together eating. Nobody wants to look at that. And so the uh, student would do anything for their teacher, but one thing, and that is wash their feet. That job was reserved for the lowest ranking slave in the household. So they show up to dinner, it's the last supper, and none of the disciples has the humility to wash the feet of one another. And so Jesus, does the absolutely unimaginable. In utter humility, not only did God leave his throne in heaven to be worshiped by angels, he enters into human history and here he is having a meal with his 12 disciples and he gets out of his seat and he gets down onto the floor. He takes his outer garment off. He fills up a basin with water. He grabs a towel and Jesus starts washing the feet of his disciples. 
This shows us the utter and inexplicable humility of Jesus, right? I mean, how many of you, if you were being worshiped by angels, you would stay there. So, you know, this is good. I like this here. How many of you would not come to earth? And if you came to earth, you would not nominate yourself for washing the feet of Judas Iscariot. This is Jesus. Some of you would say today, I've got some dirty things in my life. Jesus will clean it up. I have some things in my life that really are a mess. Jesus will clean it up. There are some places in my life I really need some help. Jesus is willing to help. Jesus is willing to love, help, serve. He is willing to do the unthinkable because his humility is unprecedented. And so this is Jesus setting an example. And this is really the heart of leadership. And you're all leaders to some degree or point or sphere. Some of you are teachers, some of you are parents, some of you are grandparents, some of you are ministry leaders, some of you are business leaders. It's setting an example. The way that you set a culture is by setting an example. And Jesus here is setting an example of humility and of service. And he wants his disciples, including we who are his disciples, to learn from his example and to follow in that culture. He had washed their feet, put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? I don't know about you, this question really strikes me. I tend to be someone who pays a lot of attention to the windshield and not a lot of attention to the rearview mirror. I tend to be a person who's very focused on the future, what's next, what are we gonna do, where are we going, and not taking the time to reflect on what God has already done or the ways he's already provided. And what Jesus does, he serves them, and then he asks them to stop and to ponder, do you understand what I've done for you? And so I've scheduled an appointment with the Lord this week and I'm gonna get some silence and solitude. And I I really wanna take some time to do what he's asking here. And that is to reflect on all the ways he's provided for me, all the things that he's done for our family and our church family to have an attitude of gratitude before I bring the request for the next season. And I would ask you to do the same, to start to think, do you understand all the things that God has done for you and the ways he's provided for you and the ways he's been present for you? Jesus says, take a moment, Take a, take a season and consider these things. Do you understand what I've done for you? Call me teacher and Lord. Teacher means we're student. Lord means we're under authority. If he's the teacher, we're the student. And if he's the Lord, we're the one that's under his authority. And you are right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What Jesus is saying is, if I'm willing to do the lowest job, you should be willing to do the lowest job. And this is setting a culture. This is setting a precedent. This is like a parent, a mom or a dad doing chores, showing the children how to do the chores and saying, hey, if we're willing to do it, you need to be willing to do it. You know, we're in authority and we're serving humbly. You're under authority, you need to do likewise. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus continues, if you know these things, let's just hit the brakes here. Blessed are you if you do them. The blessing is not just in the knowing, it is doing. Um, it's, It's really interesting. I was thinking about it. So much of our educational system is about knowledge, but not obedience, right? You can get a degree in marriage and family and have a bad marriage and a bad family. Um, You could get a degree in business and not have a job. You can get a degree in counseling and, and not be emotionally healthy. You can learn all kinds of things without doing anything and get certified to do it professionally. 
For the disciple, the follower of Jesus, it's not just learning, it's doing. And Jesus here is encouraging you and I to learn for sure, but then to obey what we learn. Because the blessing is not just in the knowing, the filling in the blank, it is in the doing, the acting out practically. How many of you found that ideas are easy and life is hard? Now, ideas sometimes are hard, but it's not nearly as hard as life. Life is hard, life is complicated. Paul tells us elsewhere that just knowledge all by itself, it puffs us up, it makes us proud. I'm so smart, I judge you, I have opinions about everyone and everything, though I don't do anything. The blessing comes in the doing. Here's what I wanna tell you. We all need to learn more, but most of us, before we need to learn more, we need to obey what we already know. Half of my counseling is this, what did God tell you to do? Uh, when are you going to do that? <laughs> I mean, my sessions are short, but they're very effective, right? And half, most of the time people will be like, well, God told me to do this. Are you doing it? No. Well, do it. Okay, well, thank you very much. Well, you know, it's just, it's no do, no do. These are the two pedals on the bike that allow you to proceed forward. You're blessed if you do. So let me ask it this way. How many of you wanna be blessed? Somebody be like, I'm not a Christian, but I'll take the blessing. That sounds fine. Okay, um, no matter what, we all wanna be blessed, then do what God tells you to do. And God will bless the obedience, okay? I'm not speaking of all of you. This is where the, the conversation takes a bit of an ominous tone. Jesus' disciples are present. They're having a meal. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. And he quotes, I think it's Psalm 41.9. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, um, I'll have to stabilize myself. I'm of the age where if I lift my foot up, I will go over. So um, lifting up your heel, in, that, in, in our culture, we have different ways of non-verbally communicating our displeasure towards someone, right? Okay, just use your imagination. Okay, I won't, I won't do it because then I'll have to fire myself. But there are things that we do with our body or maybe even potentially just throwing it out there, certain fingers and things that we, we use to sort of communicate our displeasure, right? Our opposition, okay? In that culture, the raising of the heel, that was public offense. That was your way of declaring publicly, I hate you, I oppose you, I want to harm you, I find you distasteful and shameful. What he's quoting here is a Psalm. And what he's saying is, there's 12 of you here. So this is their life group. Jesus is their life group leader. And what he's saying is one of you has that heart condition toward me. This is where all of a sudden they're having dinner. Hey, how are you guys doing? One of you is going to destroy me because you hate me. Okay, this conversation just got awkward. Things just took a dark and nefarious turn. He's prophesying what is going to happen soon from one of the 12, a man named Judas Iscariot. The, arguably the most tragic story in all of history. And, and what, he, what he says is this, uh, ate my bread. What does that mean? I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. I thought, I thought we were friends. These are the people that you invite into your home. These are the people that you invite on vacation. These are the people that you spend Christmas or Thanksgiving or your birthday with. And our day, this would be like, hey, 
I gave you the first piece of my birthday cake. Hey, at Thanksgiving, I, I carved the turkey and I put it on your plate and you sat next to me and I thought we were friends. Hey, we got, we got married and, and we, we told everybody that we were gonna do life together. It's amazing, we draw people close to love them and every once in a while there's a person that says, good, I'm finally close enough to stab them. That's the heart of Judas Iscariot. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, Jesus knows the future and he knows your future too. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, uh, receives the one I send, receives me, and whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Okay, Jesus here is the wise one. Let me talk seven ways of the wise. Again, in the story, there is Jesus the wise, his relationship with Judas the evil, and his relationship with Peter the foolish. I want this first to be for you and I in our relationship with Jesus. Am I evil? Am I foolish? How do I have a healthy relationship with Jesus? And then start to think about, and God may bring even to mind, other people that you have relationship with, some of whom who are evil, some of whom who are foolish. And ask yourself, okay, God, how can I wisely interact with these people? Seven ways of the wise. Wise people follow Jesus as the perfect role model. Part of the problem that we have is we don't have a baseline, we don't have a definition, we don't have an example of what an emotionally, relationally healthy person is. I'll never forget, I was a brand new Christian in college. I took sociology and anthropology and psychology and all the classes at the state university. And I remember just raising my hand and asking, what's a normal healthy person? There was no answer. No one knows. We, we, we don't know. So let me say this in our culture, there is a lot of emotional unhealth and as a result, a lot of relational turmoil. Can we just all agree on that? And, and what it is, it's like, you need to be like me. No, you're messed up. No, 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 you need to be like me. You're messed up. Jesus comes along and is like, you're both messed up, okay? You're both messed up. So it's not that we need to become like other people. It's that all people need to become like Jesus. He is what a normal person looks like. The rest of us are abnormal. He's what a healthy person looks like. The rest of us are unhealthy. He is what a relational person looks like. We're non-relational. Okay, because sometimes here's what we do. We'll find a person who's very unhealthy and we'll compare ourselves to them. Some of you are like, is that why we're friends? Yeah, that's, that's, that's why you're friends, okay? Um, and, and when all else fails, for some reason, every conversation ends up at Hitler. Well, at least I didn't kill people. It's like, well, congratulations, that's, that's amazing, yeah. Gold star on your chart. You're not Hitler, you're, you're to the left of Hitler. You know, congratulations. Our goal is not to compare ourselves to ourselves. Our goal is not to have others compared to ourselves. Our goal is not to compare ourselves to others. The goal is for all people to say, Jesus is normal, Jesus is healthy, Jesus is relational. How am I not like Jesus? Those are the ways I need Jesus and his relationship to make me more like him. Uh, number two, uh, wise people let Jesus humbly serve them and then they serve others. So the disciples first need to let Jesus serve them. He's gonna wash their feet. And then he tells them, okay, I did this for you. Now you do this for others. How many of you, you struggle with one or the other? Okay, truly wise, humble people, they serve and they will allow others to serve them. 
How many of you, the serving part is hard. The being served, you're good at. How many of you are good at being served? You're like, I give people the blessing of serving me and I, it's my spiritual gift is <laughs> blessing them by letting them serve me. Some of you are like, I have no problem being served. Others of you, your problem is serving. But some of us have a hard time being served. No, I serve, I don't get served, I'll take care of you. You don't take care of me. No, I'll take care of that myself. I, I don't need you. Humility, wisdom for relationship. And this is what Jesus is saying. For us to have a healthy relationship, I need to serve you. You need to be humble enough to be served and you need to serve. You need to be humble enough to serve. Third way of the wise, wise people learn from their teacher before they teach anyone else. What Jesus says is, okay, let me teach you about humility and service and love and relationship. And then after you learn these lessons, go teach others. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a student who takes what they learn and then they become a teacher to teach others. And so I would encourage you always be thinking, firstly, okay, God, what are you teaching me? What do I have to learn here? From your word, wise counsel, through experience. Okay, God, today, what am I to learn? And then to ask yourself, okay, who could I share this with? Not in an arrogant way, but in a, in a humble way of saying, okay, I was in this situation, I was struggling with this thing, and as a result, God taught me, and it was very beneficial to me, and I wanna give this gift to you that God gave to me so that it could be helpful to you as it is helpful to me. And this is, let me just say this, friends, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's taking what you learn and sharing it and taking what you learn and sharing it, and taking what you learn and sharing it. This is how to be a good parent. This is how to be a good friend, right? This is how to be a good ministry leader. This is how to be a good spouse. And Jesus is always teaching, and then he wants us to be not only learning, but also teaching. Uh, number four, wise people do not allow evil people to change their character. Jesus is loving, Judas is unloving. Jesus is overt, Judas is covert. Jesus is a faithful friend. Judas will be a pretend friend. Jesus does not allow Judas to change his character. Some of the greatest regrets in my life, maybe you can identify with this. Someone said something, so I responded in kind. Someone did something, and so I responded in kind. And what we can feel, and I'll just tell you, this is, this is my experience, you feel vindicated or justified. I shouldn't have said that, but they said it first. I shouldn't have done that, but they did it first. And it's almost like we get an excuse or permission to do evil because evil was done to us, to speak evil because evil was spoken to us. Any of you ever done this or is this just me? Okay, just, okay, okay, okay. Two honest people, all right, start. Um, Judas does not change Jesus. Jesus is going to continue in his integrity and his character. And he is not going to respond to Judas in the way that Judas is responding to him. Okay, you and I need to just continually learn this lesson by the grace of God. Who I am is based upon my relationship with the Lord and it is not negatively impacted or affected by my relationship with others. 
Um, next one, seven ways of the wise. Uh, wise people know when to release evil people. There is going to be a moment, you're gonna read of it in a moment, where Jesus is going to release Judas. He does so with a broken heart. It'll say that Jesus is troubled in his spirit. There are times that if you are wise, you have to release someone. Don't do this suddenly or quickly. Don't do this just out of impetuous emotion. Don't do this out of anger. I'm done with you. Don't do this out of hardness of heart. You come to this decision painfully. You come to this decision slowly. You come to this decision emotionally. Judas is the bookkeeper. For three years, he's been stealing from Jesus. He has already got a plan underway to betray Jesus and to participate in his murder. And it comes to the point where Judas is evil and Jesus is wise. And it says deeply troubled in his spirit, ultimately Jesus is going to allow Judas to go do what he wants to do. Okay. This is, this is where the sermon gets really heavy because life is very heavy. This is, this is the moment where you look at your spouse and you say, I don't, I, don't, I don't want a divorce. This is not what I was hoping for. I am not done trying, but if that's what you're gonna do, I release you. This is where you look at the child that you raised in the Lord and you say, I prayed for you and I took you to church and I bought you the Bible and I love you and I love Jesus, but, but this isn't his will for your life. This is not my will for your life. This ends poorly, not joyfully, but I release you because that is what you have chosen to do. And if you should change, I will welcome you with open arms, but, but you need to now go alone because I cannot go with you. The path you are choosing is not the path of God's will. And so I, I, I want to walk with you, but we need to walk on the path of God's will. If you will choose the path of death, I love you, I release you, but you need to walk that path alone. And if at any point you wanna change direction and come back, I will gladly walk with you. But I cannot walk with you toward rebellion, toward destruction, toward evil. Um, how many of you, somebody comes to mind? How many of you emotionally today, you're like, I, I know that person and they, they break my heart. Okay. Again, not out of anger, not out of, vengeance, not out of gleefulness, out of brokenness, out of brokenness. Wise people know when it's time to release someone. Number six, wise people think long-term. Jesus tells them, here's what's going to happen. Now you don't understand it, but let me tell you what the future holds. Foolish people are very short-sighted in their thinking. They don't think about cause-effect results. They don't understand delayed gratification. That's why eating, drinking, spending, decision-making tends to be very reckless. Wise people think long-term. Wise people think long-term. And Jesus here is teaching his disciples and we as his disciples to start to think long-term, okay? Because somewhere in the moment, Judas said, I can have a relationship with Jesus or 30 pieces of silver. Short-term, I'd like the money. Long-term, I'm gonna go to hell. Judas thinks very short-term. Jesus is teaching his disciples to think very long-term. And number seven, wise people live by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So we looked earlier in John's gospel that at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove and remained on him. That shows that from that moment forward through the duration of Jesus' life and ministry, he is living by the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got a book coming out. We're gonna do a whole series on this, but just the simple summary is this. Jesus doesn't want you to just admire his life. He wants you to experience it. Jesus doesn't want you just to appreciate his wisdom, but to start to share in his wisdom. And so he sends God the Holy Spirit, the same power that he had, so that we can live by God's power and be discerning. And the first thing we need to do is to examine our own hearts. How am I potentially like Judas? Before we start to judge other people, we need to first judge ourselves. I was thinking about it uh, yesterday, Grace and I taught a marriage event in Mississippi and we flew back late last night and it's kind of a long laborious journey home. And I was sitting on the plane just thinking about Judas and thinking about Jesus and thinking about the fact that Jesus is there for Judas and Judas does not avail himself to the relationship. That Jesus is willing and able to absolutely redirect the life course of Judas, but Judas is absolutely unwilling to follow the leadership of the Lord. If it weren't for the grace of God, here's what I'm saying. I'd be Judas, you'd be Judas, we'd be Judas. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to follow Jesus in relationship, to grow in wisdom so that we don't head toward evil. So Jesus is wise. Judas is evil. We'll now do a case study on Judas Iscariot. One of the most tragic tales in all of human history. I mean, you think of the opportunity. Again, I was sitting on the plane last night with Gracie. Jesus chose 12 guys. Judas was one of them. For three years, most of his meals, he ate with Jesus. Any questions he had, he could ask Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He heard Jesus preach sermons. And he didn't love Jesus. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. You see? When we see evil, it should trouble us. When we see people who choose rebellion and self-destruction, it should trouble us. First and foremost, if we see evil or rebellion in ourselves. He was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will what? Betray me. That is a brutal, painful, awful word. We all have relationships some of those relationships would fit in the category of betrayal. Most people are foolish. You'll learn about that with Peter at the end. A smaller percentage of people are evil like Judas. Some of you are a little naive, a little gullible, a little too trusting. You'll say things like, everybody's got a good heart. No, they don't. Well, you know, if, every, if you just gave them a chance, everybody turn around, not always the case. Sadly, tragically, not always the case. Sometimes when someone is evil, we like to blame shift and excuse someone else. Well, 
this happened or that happened. And some of that can in fact be true. But in this instance with Judas Iscariot, is there any responsibility that the Lord Jesus holds for the condition of Judas's heart? He can't look at Jesus and say, if you were a better friend, if you led better Bible studies, if you, if you, if you prayed for me more diligently, if you were more generous toward me, if you were more emotionally present for me, then I would not betray you. There is no excuse for Judas Iscariot. What we're seeing here is the human heart and the human condition and human nature apart from the intervention and transformation of God. Judas is who we all are apart from a miracle of God changing our heart. So we need to be very careful that we don't look at Judas and say, glad I'm not like him. Instead, we need to look at Judas and say, Lord, keep me from being like him. It needs to be a humility and a sobriety for us to walk with any integrity. He's gonna betray Jesus. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you know exactly what this feels like. We were married. You did what? You're my child. You did what? We were business partners. You did what? We were friends. You did what? Betrayal. As we go through the Bible, we invariably hit things that perhaps otherwise we would not visit. The Bible wants to prepare you for life and all the relationships in life. And so it includes betrayal and evil because sadly and tragically, there are relationships that you and I will experience that are like that. One of you will betray me. Now, this is an awkward moment at dinner. It's 12 guys in Jesus. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Pass the gravy. You know. One of you will betray me. Okay, I've got an 8% chance of being the what, who, huh? No, we're all, we're friends. We've been together three years. We pray together, we worship together, we serve together, we do ministry together. No, everybody here is good, right? The disciples looked at one another. Rock, paper, scissors, betrayer. Who is it? Right, trying to figure this out. Uncertain of whom he spoke. Isn't it shocking? Is it a bit shocking to you that their, their first instinct wasn't Judas? Judas was the CFO. He was the accountant. He was the guy who kept the money bag. If you trust somebody with cash, you trust them. Right? I mean, in that day, Jesus has a, an itinerant ministry the Bible says literally there's a money bag. What that means is there's a bag full of money. That's what money bag means. And, uh, and if you're like, well, we got 12 guys, who's gonna carry the money bag? Who do you think you're gonna pick? The person that you probably trust the most. Like Peter's a little emotional, freaks out. Don't give him the money. <laughs> Judas, he's the steady one. He's the dependable one. You know, he's the organized one. He's the trustworthy one. Give it to Judas. Some people have shadow lives. Some people have darkness. Some people are covert. Some people, you don't even know who they are. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved, who's that? 
John, who writes this book, it says a few times in this gospel, the one Jesus loved, that's John. He's Jesus' nearest and dearest best friend. So in the story, we have Judas, who is evil. We have Peter, who is foolish. And we also have John, who loves Jesus and whom Jesus loves. Okay, this is my hope and my prayer and my goal. Even at the beginning of this sermon, if you are evil like Judas or foolish like Peter, that at the end, we would experience Jesus' love and love Jesus like John does. The one whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side, so he's sitting next to him. This is his best friend. So Simon Peter, we love Peter. Peter's, he's an awkward guy. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking. Somebody's gonna betray him? John, you ask Jesus who that is. Because everybody knows it's not John. And they know that Jesus trusts John. So maybe he'll tell John who it is. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus, sidebar conversation said to him, Lord, who is it? Lord, who is it? Sidebar conversation. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So they're, it's almost like communion here, which we'll partake of in a moment, but it's bread and wine and all of that is to foreshadow and symbolize the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. This was happening at the last supper. And he says, I'm gonna take a piece of bread and I'm gonna dip it in the wine and I'm gonna hand it to somebody and that's who it will be. Story continues. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Just as I read this, Judas had a dad. The only thing we know about Judas's dad is that his name was Simon and his son betrayed Jesus. I just, I just think, oh my goodness. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we don't think when we do evil things, parents, family, friends, the, the impact, the devastation, the horror that we render on others. I mean, I've got five kids and I want them to know and love the Lord and the thought, oh my gosh, you were Judas's dad. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. That's Judas. This is as dark as the story could be. As you look at the world, you will see evil. And the problem is that the world, apart from the Bible, has no understanding of the source of evil. Some people think we're good and getting better. I don't believe that. The people are basically good at their heart. No, they're not. Give them an opportunity to get away with something and see who they truly are. There is, according to the Bible, a personal source of evil that is at work in the world and it is spiritual in nature. And the story of the Bible is that there are physical beings called people and there are spiritual beings called angels. And that the angels include a third who rebelled against God, declared war on God and chose evil. And that they are present and at work in this world. So as you look at the world, people are responsible for their decisions, including you and I, but behind it all are demonic forces, evil forces at work. How many of you, this finally makes sense of your world. Apart from Jesus, we just look at the world. Apart from the Bible, we just look at the world and say, 
It's horrible. Yes, because something tragic happened. We sinned against God and someone awful is at work in the world causing evil and devastation and destruction and death and wreaking havoc and ruining lives. The world has a problem and the world is not the solution. The world has a problem and Jesus comes as the solution. And what can happen is you and I so, so love darkness that we can open ourselves up to the prince of darkness. That's what Judas does. Not just a demon, but Satan himself. Some of you know exactly what this is like. You've invited darkness into your life. And then suddenly the darkness overtakes you and it feels like you are losing control and power of your own decision-making. Now, this raises the question, can a Christian be demon-possessed? No, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Nothing can snatch you from God's hand. Judas here is not a believer, he is an unbeliever. But he is an unbeliever who has so welcomed darkness that he has in fact welcomed the prince of darkness. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, Judas, you've made your decision, you've plotted your course, you've set your sail. What you are going to do, do, you go do it, I release you now. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. It's like the landscape externally fits the heart condition internally, it's darkness. Seven effects of evil people. Number one, evil people are dangerous and distressing. I don't want you to be paranoid, but I want you to be discerning. Not everybody's evil, but there are some evil people. If you date one, you're in harm's way. If you go into business with one, you're in harm's way. If you don't have appropriate boundaries in your life, you're living in harm's way. They are dangerous people and they're distressing. It says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit and that was because of the relationship with Judas. Number two, evil people intentionally cause harm. Judas has been stealing for three years. He is a pretend friend and the evil he is going to do and the harm he will incur upon Jesus, it is not accidental, it is intentional. Some of you are kind-hearted, tender-hearted, dear-hearted people. And when you meet people like this, they absolutely befuddle you. How could someone intentionally do harm? Evil. I think of this as a father of five children, men who hurt children, evil. We have to retain that category Otherwise we lose our sense of moral outrage, which is absolutely needed for us to deal with reality. Number three, evil people betray those who are in relationship with them. Not only does Judas betray Jesus, he betrays the other disciples. See, when we have a relational network, this can be your family, your friends, your whatever the case might be, 
to betray one person is ultimately to betray all of the relationships. He holds no value on the relationship with Jesus. And he obviously holds no value on the relationship with the remaining disciples. He is going to betray Jesus and in so doing, he is going to attack the entire ministry and he is going to set himself up as an opponent for everything that the disciples are trying to do with their whole life. Number four, evil people hide their true selves until they finally walk away from Jesus for good. Sometimes it's hard to know, are they a believer or are they an unbeliever? Are they a foolish person who walked away or are they an evil person who is never returning? Time will tell. If you would have watched Judas's life, you would have said, literally, he's walking with Jesus. Where Jesus goes, Judas goes. Jesus teaches, Judas takes notes. The band plays, Jesus sings, Judas sings. Jesus raises his hands, Judas raises his hands. And then at the very end, he betrays Jesus and walks away, never to return, never to return. The story of Judas is that he ultimately walks away, he hangs himself, he dies, and he goes to hell. See, every story we tell in our cultural narratives are, it all got fixed in the end, they lived happily ever after. And see, God wants us to know that there is no happily ever after unless the final step is in step with the Lord Jesus. And Judas' final step is away from, not toward the Lord Jesus. Additionally, number five, evil people do not want to change. My question to you is this, does Judas want to change? No. No. If he wanted to change, he could have said, Jesus, I need help. Jesus would have said, I know, I know your heart. See, here's the deal. God knows your heart, you know your heart. The question is whether or not you will bring your heart to God for a heart change. If Judas wanted help, he could have talked to one of the disciples. Guys, okay, I've been stealing and I've got a plot to betray Jesus and the soldiers are coming and they're going to arrest him and they're gonna murder him. I have got myself in deep, I need help. No, he does not want help, he does not want to change. And I know for some of you, I mean, this is a, this is a painful sermon for me. For some of you, you love people like this. You're, like, you're a drug addict. How about we get you some help? No, I'm fine. No, you're not. Do you see what you're doing to the marriage or the family or the children? Yeah, I think it'll be okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Do you want to change? I don't want to change. Do you want things to change? I don't want things to change. Let me say this. God, through Jesus Christ, saves us from hell. But God, through Jesus Christ, also saves us from ourselves. And Judas doesn't want to be saved. Judas does not want to be changed. Judas does not want to be helped. So what does Jesus say? You go do that. Number six, evil people are known to fake faith. Judas is not a believer who lost his salvation. He is someone who is pretending to be a follower of Jesus. This had, again, before we judge anyone else, you know, let's judge ourselves. But how many of you, this is the heartbreaking moment where someone comes to mind 
Like, man, I was in Bible study with them. We sang in church together. We raised our hands. I prayed for them. They prayed for me. And now they are going the path of Judas. Judas faked it the whole time. He faked it the whole time. Number seven, evil people live by the power of satanic and demonic forces. Jesus lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Judas lives by the power of the devil. And as a result, Jesus releases him. And again, I just want to stress this. There are times when we need to release people. We don't do it out of anger. We don't do it out of malice. We don't do it out of bitterness. We don't do it out of vengeance. We don't do it out of haste. Like Jesus, we're troubled in our spirit. Our heart is broken. Jesus has known that Judas has been stealing from him for three years. That's patience. Judas has been plotting his destruction. Judas has a plan in play. He is completely covert, secretive, hidden, dark life. And Jesus finally comes to the point where he says, that's what you're going to do. That's not what I want you to do, but go do it. Jesus is wise. This is how he deals with Judas who is evil. In addition, there is Peter. There are case studies here on relationship. Peter is the foolish one. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once, okay? So Jesus changes the subject, right? First, the subject is Judas, betrayal, darkness. Say, is there any hope? Yes, God is bigger than darkness. God is bigger than Satan. God is bigger than evil. God is bigger than betrayal. There's our hope, amen? What he says is this, well, uh, God, a uh, God, a uh, God, glorify, glorify, glorify. He's, he's hitting these themes that God takes evil and does good, that God takes betrayal and does something glorious, grand, and good, even through the worst of the worst of the worst. So what's going to happen, Judas's betrayal will send Jesus to the cross and there God will die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have the relationship with God reconciled. God will also glorify himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. Jesus is saying the clock is ticking, my death is impending. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you where I'm going, you cannot come. What he's saying is, I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna go to heaven. This is what's happening next. Judas will make his decision, but God has the final decision to use the evil of Judas for the glory of God. This is the hope for your life and my life. When we do evil or someone does evil against us, it is trusting by faith until we see it as sight that God is good and he will glorify himself and do something good out of the most horrific evil. You will seek me where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you. Judas is going to betray. God is going to have a victory. Here is what the people of God need to do. Love. Love. These disciples at this moment, they may be like you and I, where 
How many of you have been betrayed? What almost invariably happens when you are betrayed? So you know what? I'm not gonna trust anybody. I'm not gonna love anybody. I'm done with relationships. I'm gonna keep enough distance between you and I that you cannot stab me because I tried to hug you and you stabbed me. No one is getting that close again. He wants his disciples to be discerning and still loving. Still loving. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Here's the truth. Love comes from God for God is love. This is a supernatural love. God loves you. God gives his love to you and he gives his love to you to share with others. We don't look to the world for love. We don't look to others for love. We look to God for love. And what Jesus is saying is God loves you. I'm God, I'm here to love you. I'm going to die to give my love to you and to forgive my sins, your sins rather toward me. In a world that is filled with betrayal, in a world that is filled with evil, in a world that is filled with darkness, what do we do? Become discerning and love. Love. I'll tell you, this is the radical countercultural kingdom nature of God. How many of you, love is not what this world is offering right now. Healthy emotional relationships, this world knows nothing about because this world is not connected to the Lord Jesus in a healthy relationship with him, the source of love. And so he goes on, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the world of darkness and betrayal and treachery, if God's people will love one another, people will look and say, those are different people, why? Those are loved people, so they're loving people. Those are forgiven people, so they're forgiving people. They have a relational God, so they're relational people they're, they're God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's emotionally healthy and he is making them emotionally healthy. Well, now Simon's gonna talk, and Peter. What we love about Peter is he's just like us. When Jesus drops the final point, you should just leave it there, amen? Peter's like, I'll talk now. Thanks, Peter, we all needed that. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? He's just, he's the apple dumpling gang. He's amazing, we all love Peter. We all love Peter. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me after. I'm gonna die and go to heaven. You're gonna die and go to heaven, but I'm gonna go first. You'll get there later. I love how Peter asks dumb questions at the wrong time and Jesus still answers him. I love that. It's like, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, Peter, yeah, I appreciate that. So Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Here's Peter. I'll go to the cross and die for you. Jesus is like, that's not how this is gonna work out. Right? This is not, I appreciate the whole somebody going to the cross thing, but uh, it's not you, okay? It's, you don't need to go die for my sin. I don't have any sin. Uh, I'm gonna go die for your sin. Uh, Peter, great plan, uh, wrong person. But how many of us do this? We're like, Lord, I got it. He's like, no, for sure you don't. For sure you don't. For sure you don't got it. Will you lay down your life for me? Jesus is like, I don't need someone to forgive my sin, Peter. I made you, I'll fix this. You're the problem, not the solution, son. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me 
three times. He's predicting the future of Peter. Seven facts about foolish people. Number one, foolish people don't act upon what they learn. Okay? Jesus just told him, you're blessed if you do what I teach you to do. Here, Peter is not doing what he's been taught to do. Foolish people are not dumb, they're disobedient. Peter has learned from Jesus for three years and he's still not doing what he has been learning. Number two, foolish people can be emotionally impetuous. Peter is an emotional guy. That's not all bad, but let me just tell you this. In addition to a sail, your life needs a rudder. That's Peter's problem. He's got a sail, no rudder. He is very passionate and has no idea where he's going, right? Um, and so here he's like, Lord, I'll die for you. It's emotionally impetuous. They come to arrest Jesus. He chops a guy's ear off. Let me just tell you, if at any point in your life, somebody's ear is flying off and it was your doing, you're emotionally impetuous, amen? Just like, how do I know? Well, they lost a body part. You are emotionally impetuous. That's Peter, okay? Number three, foolish people. Okay, let me get you here. All right, soften you up with the jab, come in with a hook. Foolish people make promises, but they don't make plans. Okay, one person laughed. Um, <laughs> hey, it was funny and now it's convicting. Can we do the funny thing again? We'll get there, okay? Now, let me say this. What Peter says is a promise. Jesus, I won't, I won't, I won't betray you. I won't deny you. I won't fail you. You can count on me. That's a promise. Does he have a plan? How are you gonna do that? I don't know. Some of you are like, I wanna pay for my kid's college. How? Uh, I'm buying lotto tickets and praying. That's not a plan. That's a promise, not a plan. That's, see, and this is what we do, because we're all foolish, right? Some smaller minority people are evil, and they're all, we all have areas in our life where we can or are evil. Most people are foolish. We've all got areas in our life that are foolish. Foolishness is where we make a promise, but we don't have a plan. Like on your wedding day, I'll love you for the rest of our life. How? I don't know. No plan. Peter has a promise, but Peter lacks a plan. And that's gonna become a problem. Foolish people cause pain unintentionally. So compare and contrast Judas the evil, Peter the foolish, does Judas cause pain to Jesus? Yes. Does he cause it intentionally? Yes. Does Peter cause pain to Jesus? Yes. Does he do it intentionally? No, he does it unintentionally. Foolish people don't mean to send a torpedo into the hull of your life. It's like, uh-oh, I hit the button, my bad. They didn't mean to, but they weren't thinking it through. Number, five, number uh, five, foolish people fail when you need them most. This is the moment in Jesus' life where he really needs his friends. He's going to be betrayed by a kiss from Judas. The soldiers are going to arrest him. He's going to be falsely accused and tried. He will be stripped nearly naked. He will be flogged and beaten beyond recognition, and he will be crucified openly, shamefully, and publicly. Let me just say this, we don't need our friends every day, but there are days that we need them more than ever, right? This is the day 
See, Jesus has been there every day for Peter. This is the one day that Jesus needs Peter to be there for him. And he's foolish and he's not there. How many of us have been Peter? Been Peter. We failed to be a friend in the time of greatest need. Number six, foolish people continually shift the focus to themselves. So Jesus says, okay, let me tell you about Judas and let me tell you about God and his plan to save you from sin and glorify himself. And Peter's like, let's talk about me. Let's not. Peter says, I'll never fail you. I'll always follow you. If need be, I'll take a bullet for you, Jesus. You can count on me. I know one of these guys is a total loser. Not me. Peter, it's not about you. You keep changing the subject. How many of you, we've all been foolish, right? Don't just look at Peter and say, oh, thankfully I'm not like Peter. If you say that, you're exactly like Peter. That's how you know you're like Peter because you think you're not like Peter. But how many of us have done that? You know, somebody's like, I have cancer. Oh, really? Well, I had a ham sandwich for lunch. Really? Okay, it's back to you. It's back to you. It's always back to you. This is the moment where it should be about Jesus. And it's not about Jesus, it's about Peter. And number seven, here's the hope, here's the good news. Some of you are like, it's such a dark sermon. Jeez, that worship guy was happy. Can we have him back? <laughs> Jeez, Mark got up there. Just sort of a funeral. Are we done yet? Almost. Is there any hope in the story? No. No. (laughs) All right, let's close in prayer. No, okay, so (laughs) there is hope. I'll give you some hope, okay? So Judas and Peter, do they both walk away from Jesus? Do they both walk back to Jesus? No, but Peter does. Judas walks away from Jesus, betrays him, hangs himself, dies, and goes to hell. Peter walks away from Jesus. You can read it in the rest of John's gospel. As Jesus is being crucified, Peter watches from a distance. He's like, I I love Jesus, but I don't wanna suffer. I don't wanna be inconvenienced. So I watch from a distance. He's warming himself by a fire. Probably a teenage girl, a young gal comes up to him, has a conversation. You got a funny accent. Are, are you from the same reason, region as that Jesus? No, no. Actually, weren't you one of his students, part of his ministry? No, never met him, don't know him. Already unfriended him, no evidence. <laughs> no, you're... You're, you're one of Jesus' guys. And then it says that Peter starts cussing. I blankety blank am not. See, I say blankety blank words. Would a true follower of Jesus say blankety blank, blank, blank? <laughs> and then he hears a rooster crow. And he remembers, oh man, Jesus told me I was a fool and I was gonna do this. Jesus dies, is buried, 
Peter hears that Jesus is alive. Women were first at the tomb. The first two men were Peter and John. Okay, John got there first probably because he was younger. Okay, us older guys, we mean well. We'll just be there eventually. Peter gets there and he's the first one to enter into Jesus' empty tomb. And he realizes that Jesus is alive. What that was, was Peter heard Jesus is alive. Peter ran to Jesus. Judas ran from Jesus. Peter ran to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. Eventually, they have this very emotional scene where Peter and Jesus, they have to deal with the relationship. There are people that you need to get face-to-face with. Can't just call, text, or email. Need to sit down with, look them in the eye, Say, okay, I love you. We got to work some stuff out. I want a relationship with you, but some things have happened and we need to discuss them. Jesus looks at Peter and asks him three times because he denied him three times. Do you love me? I do. Do you love me? I do. Do you love me? That third one had to hurt. I do. Then feed my sheep. Go be a pastor. Take all the ways that I have served you and serve the people. Take all the things I have taught you and teach the people. Take all the love I have given you and go love the people. And Peter keeps walking with Jesus. He's not a perfect disciple. He has glitches, but the trajectory of his life is walking faithfully in the footsteps of Jesus. Near the end of his life, history outside of the Bible records this. They come to Peter and they say, you're the leader now of Christianity. Now that Jesus has returned to heaven, you're the highest spiritual authority alive on the earth. We would like you to deny Jesus. We know you can do that. In fact, you've done that. So what we're asking you to do now is to deny Jesus again. Just deny him again. And if you don't deny him again, they tell Peter, we're going to crucify you like we did Jesus And here's what Peter says, history outside of the Bible records. Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like Jesus died for me. Jesus loved me and he died for me. I love Jesus, I'll die for him. You crucified him, crucify me upside down. I will close my eyes and when I open them, I will see Jesus. Father God, I pray for these dear people that uh, for any of us that incline toward the tendencies and proclivities of Judas, that Holy Spirit, we would know the condition of our heart and that we would give our heart to the Lord Jesus right now and receive a, a miracle of grace, a supernatural work, a heart change, a spiritual heart transplant, taking out, Lord, that heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. Lord God, we confess that in various ways on various days, we're all like Peter. We say we do foolish things. We love you, but we wander, we stray. We don't think about the consequences. We get selfish. We make mistakes. God, there are things that we're just embarrassed by, ashamed of, and looking back, don't even have any sort of reasonable explanation or excuse. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing to us Jesus and redeeming life and renewing hope. And God, I pray for these dear people that uh, all of them would, like Peter did, run to the Lord Jesus. And once they're reconciled to him, walk with the Lord Jesus. 
until one day they die, close their eyes, open them, and see the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.